So do you remember your first job? Was it great? Some of us had great first jobs. Some of us, um, and some of us didn't, and then we had friends or siblings who had great first jobs who reminded us that they had better jobs than we did. You know, maybe you had a job like I did in, in college. I had a job that made me want to go to college and do good so that I didn't have that job, uh, you know, for the rest of my life. And, and so some of us have just great experiences at work. Some of us have had bosses that believed in us and pushed us and encouraged us. And some of us have quit jobs because of bosses. You know, some of us, like right now, some of you are thinking, man, I really don't want to go to work tomorrow because of my boss. You know, I wish that like maybe my boss got a different job over the weekend or my team or like, but here's the thing about work is we will spend, if you work full-time, you will spend roughly a third of your life at work. Now, that's good and bad. Now, we will spend hours preparing for work, stressing about work. We will spend hours thinking about work. I mean, even right now, as I'm talking about work, some of you are starting to think about work. You're welcome. <laughs> now, here's the thing about our culture today is when it comes to our jobs, most people don't like what they do. They don't like who they work with. They don't like the boss that they have. You know, the saying that, you know, you don't quit a job, you quit a boss. That's real. Half of all workers in the last year have experienced some level of burnout. The younger you are, the higher percentage of burnout you are experiencing. Okay, so for millennials, they're experiencing higher levels of burnout than boomers. And for many of us, we're not sure what to do to make work better. We kind of feel at a loss. And I remember when we started this series, and we had all of you... Uh, Discuss in your community groups and decide, you know, which spiritual rhythms and practices you're going to focus on this summer. Here's one of the most common questions I got from people. Wait, so we're doing a week on work. Is work really a spiritual practice? Now, for some of us, this may be an entirely new idea, the idea that work is a spiritual practice or a spiritual rhythm. For some of us, we've just never thought about it. Now, the reason that I think it's so important is because the way that we think about our jobs frames how we do them. The way that we think about work frames how we go about our work. Now, when I talk about work today, here, here's kind of the framework that I'm using. I'm using the framework around the way that we spend our days. So whether you are a business owner, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a boss or an employee, whether you're a stay-at-home parent or a stay-at-home grandparent, whether you work for yourself or work for somebody else, we spend our days working and doing things. We interact with people, we accomplish things, we run errands, we have to-do lists to get through. Some of us are preparing for work and, and wanting to launch out into the to the workforce. Some of us are in high school and college, and we're trying to figure out, like, what do I do with my life? Some of us are about to retire, and you're thinking, what do I do with my life? And you're trying to figure those things out. We're all at these different stages, but the reality is God cares about how we spend all of our hours. 
It matters to him how we spend all of our hours. When you show up at work, when you show up as a stay-at-home parent, God cares about all of those interactions. They all matter. Now, some of us, when we think about work and how we spend the majority of our days, we think about them in the idea of, of meaning and purpose. And so we think, I got to find as much meaning, I got to you know, pull as much purpose out of this, and that frames how we go about our days. For some of us, it's simply about money. It's simply a transactional experience for us. And so that frames how we think about them. That frames how when we get home, do we feel like we did anything? Did it matter? Like, did we accomplish something? For others, we think about it in the framework of worship. We think about it the way Colossians 3 talks about it, that whatever we do, we do it with all of our hearts, and we think about it that way, and that frames how we go about our days. And so it's important to start with saying, okay, how do we think about it? Because the way we think about it matters. And so today, we're going to look at three questions. So if you're a note taker, you love outlines, I have three questions. So when I get to the third question, you know we're almost done, okay? First question, where did work come from? I mean, think about it. Where did work come from? I mean, who thought of the idea we should spend a third of our lives working, preparing for work, stressing about work, thinking about work, going to school for work? I mean, who thought this is a good idea? Some of you right now are thinking, I would really like to get a hold of that guy. Like, who thought this would be a good idea? Because, you know, but where did work come from? See, what we know from Scripture is that God created all that we see. He created our first parents, Adam and Eve. He created everything that we, walk, that we walk around and see, and he created work. Now, many people have this idea that work actually came after sin entered the world in Genesis 3, after the fall. But that's not where work began. A lot of people will point to Genesis 3 where it says, after sin entered the world, God said to Adam, the ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor for all the days of your life. Now, painful labor is what most of us experience day in and day out when it comes to our jobs. Drudgery. Time clocks. Bosses coming in and asking for that report, especially on a Friday afternoon. Drudgery. And that's what we think of when it comes to work. Painful labor. But that's not the first mention of work. That's not the first mention of work in the Bible. Work is actually mentioned in Genesis 2. After God creates all that we see before creating man and woman, he says there was no man to work the ground. So God looked at all that he had created and said there is no man, there is no woman to work the ground. So when God created Adam and Eve, when God created man and woman, he created them, and part of his original plan for us and for them was work. It was part of God's good plan for us to work. This is one of the reasons that God created us, to find meaning and purpose in work. So then the second question is, well, does God care about my work? Like, does God care what I do? Does he care what, what you do? Does he care what I do? Does he care how you spend your days? Does God have a specific job in mind for you? Some of us will spend our entire lives trying to find God's perfect will and perfect job for our life and end up missing out on some of the things that God has for us. And we wonder, day in and day out, as you go and prepare lesson plans, as you make sales calls, as you sit in meetings, and you think, does God care about this? 
Like, does God care about what I do? Does God care about how I interact with this customer or my boss over here? Does God care about this email? Does God care about this meeting that could have been an email? Does he care about that? And the answer from Scripture is a resounding yes. Because if Genesis 2 is true, which I believe that it is, that God created us to work, that work was part of God's original plan for us. It wasn't punishment for sin. God didn't say, you know, hey, now that sin entered the world and Adam and Eve, you guys totally wrecked this, now you get to work. That's not how he created things. No, he created us to work. He created us to find meaning and purpose and drive and joy through work. And yet, because of the fallenness of our world, because of sin, a lot of work is painful. A lot of work is drudgery. A lot of work is not fun. A lot of work is a reminder that we live in a broken world. And yet, one of the things I love, one of my favorite books of the Bible is the book of Nehemiah. If you don't know the story of Nehemiah, it's a, it's a story in the Old Testament. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. So he's one of the most trusted people in the kingdom. And God gives a vision to Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah is Jewish. He's living in the kingdom of Persia. God gives him a vision to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the city wall. Now, this isn't just any kind of rebuilding program, okay? The city of Jerusalem had been destroyed for generations, okay? So for generations, people lived in Jerusalem. The city walls were destroyed. There was no protection, and no one did anything about it. God gives Nehemiah a vision and says, I want you to go back to Jerusalem, and I want you to rally the people to rebuild the city. And I want you to go to the king, the one that you're the cupbearer for, the one that you eat all of his food and drink all of his wine before he does. I want you to ask him to pay for it. And so Nehemiah does. And when he gets back and the building begins, one of the most amazing chapters to me in the Bible is in, is in Nehemiah chapter 3. If you look at Nehemiah chapter 3, you will find hundreds of names. That's it. That's all Nehemiah 3 is. It is just hundreds of names. It is a list of names. Now, here's why this is so amazing to me. These are all the families that Nehemiah rallied in the city of Jerusalem to rebuild the city. But here's what it tells us in Nehemiah 3. Each family rebuilt the part of the wall right in front of their house. Okay? So, the work that God has for us many times is the thing right in front of us. It's not the thing off over there. It's not the, the next five things, because we're super concerned about the next five things. And God says, the thing in front of you, the person in front of you, the project in front of you. Then it tells us where they built it, okay? Some people rebuilt the valley gate, which I bet that was probably really pretty, like a valley, just, you know, the mountains. Some people got to rebuild the fountain gate. I mean, that sounds relaxing, the fountain gate. Some people got to rebuild the dung gate. Now, some of us, here's the thing. Here's why this is so important, okay? Some of us are going through life right now, and your assignment is the dung gate. And you're like, why didn't I get the fountain gate? Why don't I get the valley gate? I mean, I would have taken, like, just the dirt road gate over the dung gate. And we don't do the assignment God puts in front of us. Now, I don't know. Nehemiah doesn't go into detail as to why this person got the fountain gate, how they ended up at the fountain gate. But somebody had to rebuild the dung gate. There, somebody had to do that. Otherwise, there's a hole in the wall. And some of us 
God has placed work in front of us, but we don't care about the work that God has placed in front of us because it's not the really cool Instagram-worthy job. It's the dung gate. It's the changing diapers. It's the feeding this. It's the taking care of this. It's the finishing that project. And that's not as much fun. And so we sit around all of our lives and we go, I'm just waiting for, I'm just waiting for my opportunity. No, you're waiting for the fountain gate. But at some point in our lives and at some point, somebody's got to do the dung gate. And God looks at us and says, do you care about the work in front of you? Because this is what's so important about Nehemiah 3 is that they rebuilt the wall in front of their house. They rebuilt the wall in their neighborhood. They rebuilt the wall right in front of them. And some of us have things that God has placed in front of us. And we go, you know, I'd really like to skip this step and get to the next one. And God's like, that's cool, but you still have to do this one. And part of our faithful work as worship sometimes is rebuilding the dung gate in our lives and careers. Now, some of us never get the fountain gate. Those families who rebuilt the dung gate, they didn't just get to be promoted one day to the valley gate. Chapter four isn't them going, hey, you get to move up. Like, you know, we get, the runt gets the dung gate now. No, they, they, they stayed there. They stayed there. This is why Colossians 3 is so important where it says, the work that we do is for the Lord and that is who we get our reward and inheritance from. The reward for people in Nehemiah 3 was not to move up to the next prettier gate. And this is why this matters, because Paul tells us in, in 1 Corinthians 15, after laying out the glory of the resurrection, verse, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians is all about the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. And then he connects it to work. After talking about how we know that Jesus rose from the dead, how because of the resurrection we are changed and made new in Jesus and rescued, he says, therefore... My dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast and movable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He says, because the resurrection is real, because Jesus rose from the dead, always be excelling. Now, we have this idea of excellence in our culture, right? What is excellence? Excellence is simply doing the best that you can with what you have. Your level of excellence is not the level of excellence of the person sitting next to you. And you know this if you're married to them. You guys have had this argument about the level of excellence. You know, you've, you've seen the difference. Your level of excellence is not the same as your boss's or your manager or your coworker. Students, your parents probably have a different level of excellence for you than you do. But Paul says, be steadfast, be firm, be accountable immovable. Steadfast carries this idea of, of resilience, of being counted on. So because of the resurrection, are you a worker? Are you an employee? Are you a boss that's resilient, that's diligent? Do you do excellent work? Or do people look at your work and go, it's okay. I mean, it's, it's done. There should never be a moment 
as a follower of Jesus, where somebody looks at the things that you do and go, I guess that's good enough. That's, I mean, it's finished. You wrote your name on it. If you're a student, like, your teacher should look at the work that you do and go, this is excellent. Yeah, but Josh, like, I, I, don't, I don't really care about the work that I do. Like, I don't, I don't really want to do the work that I do. In fact, I don't really like my job. Because of COVID, there's been kind of an acceleration in our culture uh, of what people are calling the great resignation of, you know, everybody's rethinking about their job. What do I want my future to look like? And the reality is this, is this has gone on forever. This is every life stage cycle, right? You, you graduate high school and you think, what do I want to do with my life? You know, I... What major do I want to have? You go to graduation parties, and people are like, what are you going to major in? You're like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm undecided. And you, know, and you always have the person at the graduation, well, you better decide because like, no one hires undecideds. You know? and, and so then you feel this pressure, and you, you, you go to college, you major in something, and someone's like, why are you majoring in philosophy? Like, that's not going to pay for anything. And, you know, and then you switch majors, and you graduate, and then you don't do anything with your degree. You have a completely different job. You change jobs 13 times. Right? And then you have kids and, you know, and you think, oh, you know, I should get a different job. And we keep asking, like, what, what is my passion? Like, what do I want to do with my life? And, we've, and we hit all of these different things. And, and one of the questions we have to ask connected to God caring about our job is, what do I do if I don't like my job? What do I do if I don't know my purpose? And if you're not there, at some point in your work life, you will feel this. You'll sit at your desk, you'll look at your computer, and you think, why do I spend all this time doing this? Does any of this really matter? You wonder, like, is there meaning to this? Like, how do, I, how do I find meaning in what I do? And some of us get paralyzed at this place. Some of us get paralyzed when we don't know our purpose. And then we'll make God's will for our life really spiritual and mystical like this. We'll just be like, I'm just, I'm praying for God's perfect will, you know, and it's just out there. I just need to, you know, I haven't found it yet. God's will for our life is not like a hidden treasure map that God has for us. He's not withholding that from us. Some of us just haven't spent enough time just sitting there listening to God. Some of us are just thinking, you know what, I, I'm not going to do anything. I had a friend tell me one time, he's like, I'm just waiting on God, and I'm just going to sit here and wait and not do anything. And I remember I looked at him, and I said, well, you know what, like, you, you probably should do something. Because here's, here's just an, a really helpful thing for me. Something is better than nothing. Okay, because sometimes we think, well, like, I can't do something until I know exactly what it is. But something is better than nothing. This, this applies to parenting. This applies to reading your Bible. This applies to dating your spouse. Something is better than nothing. Because what happens is, is that as we wait or as we switch jobs too quickly to get to the perfect thing, we actually miss what God wants to do. I love what Crawford Lorette says. He says, God won't give you what you want because you won't stick around long enough to get what you need. Now, some of you right now are thinking, I, I can't wait to share that quote with somebody. Like, I, they need to hear that. But some of us right now are in a place that we need to stick around longer than what we want to. But God has something to show us. 
But many of us will have this idea that I'm just, I'm looking for the perfect job. I remember when I moved here, I was talking to a friend about job searches, and he said, Josh, you know, I'm just looking for a job that excites me, gives me meaning and purpose, pays well, and is in a spot I want to live. I said, man, that sounds amazing. Like, we all want that job. And he's still looking for that job. A year later, he's still looking for that job. Why? Because God wants to show us something. And some of us are waiting until something is perfect before we jump in. And one of the things that I keep telling my kids, and I, and I tell lots of people this as they're trying to figure out what to do with their life, is this simple thing. Do something until you find your thing. Yeah, but that, that's really not my thing, Josh. Like, I really don't want to do that. I remember when I was in college, I, I was a worship leader, and I thought for sure I was going to spend my entire life being a worship leader. It was very easy for me to talk to people in front of a group if I had a guitar in front of me. I never, I never did this. Like, I never stood in front of a group of people. And I remember at 22... The guy that I worked for came to me and he said, hey, you know, he said, you're really great at leading worship. He said, but have you ever thought about speaking to people? And I said, no, I've never thought about speaking to people. I don't want to do it. I, this, this is my thing. I have a guitar. I do this. And he said, no, I, I think you should do this. He said, I think you could do this. I said, no, I don't, I don't really want to do it. So, so I did it, okay? And it was awful. I mean, it was, it was an atrocious sermon. It was like 49 minutes. I had 34 pages of manuscripted notes. It was, it was awful. I mean, Katie was there. She remembers. It was terrible. And and so afterwards, I just thought, I could do this, okay? Now, I, I didn't know how to do it then. I didn't, that wasn't my thing at all. But he said, hey, just keep doing something until you find your thing. Because when you do something, here's what you find. You find, kind of like that. I really didn't like that over here at all. I can actually make sales calls. I, I like standing in front of people. I really like Excel. I really don't like people. Like we find, we find things as we do something. Now here's the thing. I'm going to say something, and maybe because it's my summer break, I'm going to say this, but, so please don't email me about it. But I don't know that God has a perfect will for you that if you don't get it, you will miss out on everything that God has for you. Here's what I mean. All throughout Scripture, God tells us again and again the different commands that we have as followers of Jesus, okay? We are to make disciples. We're to make more disciples. We're to be faithful, to have integrity, all of these different things. There are hundreds of different jobs that you and I can do and do all of those things. And when we are looking for God's will and go, what does God want me to do? Which door should I take? We look at, what are all the things God has commanded me to do? And as we live those out, do you know what begins to happen? Things become clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer for us. Instead, many of us just go, well, maybe if I, maybe if I like make a pros and cons list, this is a really popular thing to do. Here's the problem with the pros and cons list. Everything on that list is not equal. You ever notice that? It's not all equal. Everything on that list. I remember when I was... Um, going to school to be a pastor, and, and I heard someone used to always quote Charles Spurgeon. He was a preacher in London back in the 1800s, and he said, if you can see yourself doing anything besides being a pastor, go and do that. And I was like, okay, like this is God's perfect will for my life. 
I remember one of my very first jobs, I'm, I'm sitting there in a room with an older lead pastor, and he quotes this. And I was like, yeah, this is why I'm a pastor. And he goes, that's the dumbest thing anybody's ever said. And I was like, my whole, the whole reason I'm here is because of this quote. And he goes, listen, he goes, I hope you're smart enough to be more than a pastor. He's like, if this is all you can do, he said, I could do a hundred things. And, and, it sat, and I sat there and I thought, because here's what it did for me. It's because I had in my mind the only way that I could glorify God and find joy was if I did this one thing. But there's actually a plethora of ways for me to follow all the commands that God has given to me and to you as a follower of Jesus and to live out what he's called us to. Now, our identities as sons and daughters of God doesn't change. Our calling of what God calls us to in terms of like all the commands do not change, but this is really, really important because we confuse these. Our assignments do change. Where those callings and identities play out change. How those callings and identities play out change. I mean, for example, in my life, my, my assignment changed a year ago when we moved across the country. But too many of us get too focused on our calling and identity, and God's already been really clear on this, and so now it's, what is my assignment? So here's the third question. How do you and I glorify God at work? How do you and I glorify God at work in our assignments? How do you and I glorify God at home, where we spend the majority of our days? Tanya read it earlier in Colossians chapter 3. It says this, whatever you do, okay, I want to stop there. What do you think when Paul says, whatever you do, what does that involve? Everything. So when you go, well, what about this thing? Whatever you do. Yeah, but what about like this part of my job? Whatever you do. Whatever you do. Whatever you do, do it from the heart. Some translations say it, do it with all of your heart. So just as an evaluation question for ourselves right now, think back to this past week. Everything that you did, did you do it with all your heart? Did you mail anything in? You did. We can be honest. We're at church. Like, you mailed something in this week. Parenting. Is there a conversation you mailed in? Is there a moment that you didn't bring everything that you had to this situation, this project? Maybe you're the person that, like, benefits from the group project of not doing everything. Whatever you do, do it from the heart. Do it with all your heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. Because here's what we do. We, we go through our lives and we're like, why doesn't anybody see all the work that I do? Nobody thanks me. Nobody said thanks for going to work. No one said thanks for having a house. No one, no one said thanks for that project. No one said thanks for finishing that for them. The person who didn't do anything in the school project never said thank you for, for me completing it so they could get an A without doing any work. No one said thanks. How many arguments have you had in your life and how much frustration have you had because no one told you thanks? Now, they should. But do you do it for, for them? 
Do you do it for thanks? See, Paul wants to reorient what we do and how we do it and how we see it. So he's not saying that it doesn't matter that they didn't say thanks. It's not saying that they shouldn't have noticed that you did it. But Paul's saying, that's not why you do it. That's not why you show up at work every day. You do it not for people, but for the Lord, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. Now, when we see the word reward and inheritance, we think of money, right? We think of God's blessing on us. It could be that. could be that. It's more likely, Paul's saying, that when we focus on our work the way that God wants us to, when we stand before God, he says, well done. Well done, son. Well done, daughter. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now, if, this is really important, if that is not enough, that is a confession and a reorientation of our hearts that we need to make. If we look at our work and just say, if I go through my life and the only thing that I get is from God looking at me in eternity and saying, well done, good and faithful servant, that's not enough. That, that's a reorientation that we have to make in our hearts. Now, is that easy? No, it's not easy. Do every day when your boss doesn't say anything, you just go, well, you know what? Like, God, God sees this. You know, I'm going to get through it. Like, no. That's hard. That's hard, hard work to do. When your kids don't say thanks, when people take you for granted at work, when you just think, well, wait till I'm not around, then, you know, see how easy you have it. So here's, here's a question for us when it comes to work. Is it enough? that God sees it in your heart of hearts. I know the Christian answer is to say yes, but in your heart of hearts, like, is it enough that God sees it? See, I think Colossians 3 has, has a couple of really important questions for us. And in the next step email this week, we're going to kind of unpack these, but, but they are, everything that you do, do you do it with all your heart? And if only God sees it, is that enough? See, one of the things that, that I do in the morning when I, when I wake up before I get out of bed is I just, I lay there and I silently pray, God, I give everything and everyone to you. And what this does, this has been a practice over the last several years that has reoriented my heart to what I'm about to walk into. And it's a reminder to me that everything that I'm walking into God's in front of me, God's with me, but that also God sees. So as we think about the spiritual rhythm of work, for some of us, like I said at the beginning, the idea that God cares about our work might be a new idea. The idea that God has placed work before us to honor Him, to glorify Him, and to bring joy to us might be a new idea. But this week, whatever you do, do it with all your heart. Not to man, not to woman, but because you're doing it to God, who sees. He sees all your work. And so I want us to just take a moment. So I want us to process our week. We don't, we don't do this very much, but I want us to process our week.
how you spent your days. Why don't you just take a moment, just quietly where you are. Why don't you think back to your week? If it helps you to just kind of envision your calendar or to think back to the conversations you've had. Are there some places, are there some situations that maybe you didn't bring your full heart to that project, to that conversation that you need to confess? Say, God, you know, I I didn't, I wasn't all there. I didn't put everything I had in it, you know. And we have all kinds of reasons, good reasons, but maybe there's there's something that we need to confess to say, God, I, I... I didn't do that as worship to you, and I did not do whatever I did with all of my heart. And to just confess that, to give that to God, to let go of that. Maybe you've carried that this week. Maybe there's something that you've kind of held on to that you wish you could go back and, and fix. But that's just a confession to say, God, forgive me in that. And then ask for help. God, help me this week that whatever I do to do with all my heart, as an act of worship to you. Or maybe on the other side of that verse is, maybe it's hard for you to see and be okay with no one noticing what you do, but just God giving you a reward. And maybe for you, you read that and you think, I want that to be okay in my heart of hearts. I want that to be okay in the quiet places of my life, but God, I need your help for that to be enough. And that's okay to bring that to God. Say, God, help help your reward for me. Help your reward for me to be enough in my work. No one else notices. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you see what we do. You see the phone calls that we make. You see the emails that we send. You see the meetings that we sit in. You see all of the different worries and stresses and preparations that go into our jobs. You see how we spend our days. You see how we spend the in-between moments. And so, God, I thank you that you care about every minute of our day. And God, I pray for those who are in a place of trying to discern their next steps, trying to figure out, what do I do with my life? What do I do over here? Do I do this major? Do I change this job? God, I pray that you would help them to not be paralyzed. I pray that you would help them to to sit long enough to hear from you, to sit in that silence, as we talked about a few weeks ago, to hear your voice but also to know that as we step forward, as we do things, as we attempt things, your spirit speaks to us in those places. Your spirit speaks through experiences. Your spirit speaks to us through other people who say, hey, have you thought of this? Have you thought of this? And so, God, I pray that you would help us to be attentive to all of the ways that your spirit speaks to us and guides us. And God, may we be people as your followers, that people can look at the work that we do, the way that we spend our lives, and say whatever that person does, they do it with all of their heart because it is an act of worship to God. In your name, amen. I want to encourage you on your Connect card. 
there's a box that says the next step email. And we're going to send you a couple of things this week with that. One, we're going to send you just, a, just an exercise to walk you through how to hear the voice of God as it relates to your career and the things that you give your life to. Just some simple questions, some simple prompts in prayer, in your time with God to hear God's voice. Our, our world, as we talked about a few weeks ago with silence, is our world is really loud. It's often very difficult to hear God's voice. But God is also really clear about how to find our purpose in Him. And the second thing is just simple ways to go through our day so that whatever we do, we do it with all of our heart as a worship to God. And so as we close, we're going to sing a song together. So I want to ask you to just stand just as we commit ourselves to what God's called us to. Uh, today.